You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. If you're listening across the Big Blue View Radio network, please uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can drop us a rating or a comment, please do that as well. I'm joined today by Tom Radoski of the 33rd team. And what we're going to do today is... Uh, Look back at uh, at the Giants' 2022 draft class. Sort of assess uh, assess how those guys did. Maybe look a little bit farther back to uh, to a couple of the of the Dave Gettleman era draft classes as well. So uh, let me bring Tom in right now. Tom, how you doing today? I'm great, Ed. Thanks for having me. Always always a pleasure to to get on you and, and uh, talk talk a little Giants. So, you know, we're a little bit removed from uh, from the season at this point. You know, Giants having uh, having lost in the in the divisional round, much better season than than anyone really anticipated that that the Giants would have. And and one of the things that we always do at Big Blue View, we go through the positional reviews and we go through the free agents and we assess the draft class. And I did my own assessment of the draft class last week at Big Blue View. And, and I kind of want to go through that class with you and sort of have you put your scouting hat on and and tell me what you what you think about that class. And and, and I'm kind of gonna go in reverse order of that class. And one of the reasons I'm gonna do that is because one of the things that's really, really interesting and, and maybe concerning about that class is just how many games this draft class missed because of injury. And I'm just curious before we even get into players, you had, I think two players missed the entire season. You had every player that Joe Shane drafted except one miss significant you know, time in training camp or miss a number of games with injuries and just, you know, how far back does that set, you know, this group of players? Yeah, no, I mean, I think every player can affect them differently, but I mean, overall you come in as a rookie, you got so much to take in. There's a lot of, you know, bullets flying all over the place and you're trying to just take it one day at a time. And life as a rookie is very, very challenging for a lot of different reasons. And certainly you just hope that you could be on the field and available so you can learn, start to get adapted and adjusted to what the coaches are asking you to do. And so, yeah, anytime you suffer, you know, setbacks uh, that have to do with, you know, obviously medical purposes, it, it, it can really hamper your development. But um, I think overall, there's a lot of promise with a lot of these guys, but yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you, you hate to see uh, the missed time like we saw with a lot of these guys. 
Yeah, I know that uh, they were very high on Darian Beavers, who was their sixth-round pick. I think that uh, he was somewhat surprisingly pushing for real playing time early and considering the uh, the dumpster fire that their linebacking crew was during the season, he could have had a big role. Um, I'm curious what you thought of him, You know, if you remember what you might have thought of him coming out of school and uh, and if you think he can be a player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he's got a lot of traits that you can develop. I mean, any, anytime you take a, a sixth round pick, you know, a late round pick, you're just looking for traits. You're looking for tools. You're looking for upside. I think he has that. And so that's that you get him back on the field. You let him develop a little bit. Um, he's a guy that because he missed time, he might not necessarily be kind of at the forefront of the linebacker equation, you know, coming into the season. But he's a guy where if he can stay on the field and he can start to develop, you know, yeah, you, you never know. You might end up catching, you know, lightning in a bottle with with him, a former six-round pick. Again, at that point in the draft, you're not really sure what you're going to get out of those guys. Absolutely. It's kind of weird, Tom, because when I think about it, you know, we, th- we talk about the Giants making progress and, and I look at the roster and this roster this year was filled with so many guys that were low budget free agents, so many guys that were stopgap kind of players, guys that were there to, to do an adequate job until the Giants could, could draft and develop their own players to fill those spots. And, and it's, it's to the point where I almost look at it like, You've got another draft class coming in, and it's almost like having a draft class and a half or almost yeah. two draft classes with all the all the time these guys missed with injuries. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think the Giants, the, the roster is still at a point where obviously they played in the divisional round this year, incredible year for the organization to turn things around. But I think the Giants are still a year or two away roster construction wise, talent wise from being in a legit position to really challenge for a Super Bowl. So I think at this point, you know, from kind of the the scouting standpoint, kind of the team building perspective, I think you're still really building for the future. You still kind of have a future first mentality. And so, yeah, I think uh, getting a bunch more young guys into the mix, seeing how they mix and match with this 2022 draft class, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to see kind of how it's going to all play out. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, you know, we're kind of going in reverse order of this draft class. I'm going to ask you about uh, the fifth round pick, Micah McFadden, and uh, actually at this point, the fourth round pick, Dane Belton, the safety out of Iowa as well. Those are both guys. McFadden played a lot more, I think, than anyone anticipated. But I think the Giants told us at the end of the season that maybe they don't see him as an answer. I mean, by using Jared Davis in the playoffs – and I think Belton is another guy who kind of disappeared as the as the season went along. I'm just curious, if, you know, if you have you have thoughts on on those guys and and what their future roles might be. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Belton was a guy I really liked coming out. Um, but yeah, certainly you're right. Kind of some ups and downs with him. Um, I think moving forward, ideally, those are two guys based on what they've shown as a rookie. You, you want to have guys that are come in that can kind of push them out of their spots. And but but obviously you want to you want to force them to compete for their spots. You know, you want to you want to bring in guys that ideally are upgrades. 
um, and, and that can can push them into kind of more reserve roles. Because I agree, I think what we saw this year, I wouldn't really bank on much from either of those two moving forward. At the end of the day, you just want continued competition because if the Giants can get to a point where the back end of their roster are players that they still feel can contribute kind of in a, in a backup rotational role, that's when you know you're in a really good spot from a roster and an overall talent standpoint. Absolutely. And I want to stop for a second in terms of going through player by player. I hear or I see fans comment all the time and they'll say, oh, that fourth round pick, they'll say, oh, Dane Belton's a bust. Because, you know, he's a fourth-round pick, and the second half of the season he didn't play. I try to tell people I've never looked at a fourth-round, fifth-round, sixth-round, seventh-round pick. I've never seen one who's a bust. Never. Mm-hmm. Because, because the reality of it is almost all of those guys are flyers. You're, you're drafting those guys without great expectations to begin with. If you get more than – if you – to me, if you get more than quality special teams play, and you need that out of some of these guys, but if you get more than long-term quality special teams play, I think you're getting you're getting more than you're drafting. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm just curious what the organizational sort of scouting perspective is on, on, on that idea. Yeah, I, th- I think overall, your first, second, and third round pick, you're really looking for starters. Um, you're looking to have starters for years to come. I think starting with that fourth round moving on, uh, at that point, you're maybe taking more risk on guys with tools or guys that you think have a lot of upside where maybe they could way outperform where they're being drafted. Certainly when you get into round five, round six, round seven, at that point, you're kind of looking at, all right, we just need special teams skill sets that maybe can mold into something more from the line of scrimmage. So yeah, I think a fourth round pick is right in that range where you certainly hope they can contribute from the line of scrimmage, maybe even become a starter. But if they don't, you don't view it as a loss or a bad pick um, because, hey, it was probably unrealistic in the first place to maybe put expectations, you know, super high expectations on a guy like that. And that's that kind of what I mean by you want to have, ideally you want to have players that are better than those type of players, because that's kind of just how you want to build a roster in my opinion. Absolutely. All right. I want to talk about the, uh, the other fourth round pick tight end, Daniel Bellinger. I was asked the other day, if I thought that Bellinger was the the quote unquote solution at tight end for the Giants, and and my answer is no, not necessarily. I think he's part of the solution. I think he can do a lot of things. I think he's a really reliable underneath wide receiver. He can block out of the backfield. He can block in line. He can line up outside in the slot if you need him to, and and be representative out there. But he's not dynamic. I think to me, I think he's part of the solution. But I yeah. think the thing that the thing that you said about, you know, wanting somebody who can push him, maybe for me, maybe wanting a more dynamic tight end, a guy that can get down the field. To me, I think he's part of it, but the Giants need more. 
Yeah, I think uh, Bellinger's a guy I really like. I think he showed this year that he's smart, he's tough, dependable. Um, I think generally you can trust his hands and underneath-seeming ability, as you said. I think to me, when you, when you think about building a tight end position group, it's almost like building a little bit of a basketball team where you need different skill sets. You you want the receiving first tight end. You want the blocking first tight end. Ideally, you want a guy that can do a little bit of both. Um, so I think Ballinger, he fits that mold where he's kind of a number two, high-end number three. But I agree, he's not dynamic enough to where you're not plugging him in as your number one tight end and saying, we got this position solved. You want something that's a lot more dynamic in the passing attack. So I like Bellinger a lot. I think he's a part of the future. I think he's going to have a spot with the Giants for you know years to come. But yeah, he's not your number one guy. And I think if anyone's approaching it that way, they're probably not looking at it from the most, uh, you know, most optimistic point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And and none of that is to take away from Bellinger at all. He, he yeah. did a very good job in my estimation. There might just be, there, there's a limit to, to the ceiling. There's a limit to, to what he can be, I think. Right. Yeah. He, he's not one of those guys. He's not an elite separator. He's not going to, he's not going to uncover over the middle consistently against different body types. He's again, more of that underneath can block a little bit, very smart and tough. Um, so yeah, a guy that is never going to be a game wrecker, but I think this is a guy you can count on and moving forward. And Hey, those players are really valuable. I mean, as you said, credit to credit to Ballinger for how he stepped in and handled everything, obviously, but before the injury. Absolutely. And, so, so we're we're moving up the board here a little bit. The two third round picks, cornerback uh, Cordell Flott, offensive lineman Josh Azudu. Let me just say this: I think that Flott is a guy that I I am very anxious to see once he's able to put ten or fifteen pounds on. And Azudu is a guy that I think, for me, I thought the Giants really, really wanted him to emerge as one of as their starter when they had all the injuries at 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 guard you know but he of course succumbed to an injury so i'm just curious you know what your what your thoughts are on those two guys yeah, I think first of all with the Zudu, um, yeah, I thought, you know, this was a season where there was really an opportunity for a guy like him to step in, grab a hold of a spot, show that he was a part of the long-term plans. And I, I didn't think that the tape he put out there was was enough to warrant that. Obviously, again, dealing with injury. But I think overall with the Zudu, there's still a lot to be a lot to be desired there, a lot still lacking there. So I I wouldn't be as optimistic about him. Flot, I mean, I think up and down showed a lot of trades, showed a lot of why he's a third round pick you love the frame from a, a size and a length standpoint but yeah just a little bit uh it needs a little more mass for sure he's a guy that as he continues to develop we might see him round into a really consistent solid player but he's just not there yet yeah absolutely i think i think it showed in i thought there were there were times that that he got i guess the right word is bullied a little bit yeah. and i I thought it showed up more actually more in run defense and more in trying to hold the edge at times than it did sometimes in, in coverage. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, playing the run, I think that's if if you have a, a young corner that can really play the run, that's a huge, huge feather in his cap to be able to, to, to be trusted in a run support. And yeah, I just think the the lack of mass right now for him, I mean, 6'1", 165 pounds. I mean, yeah, that's that's just not that's just not going to play against bigger bodies, you know, so definitely some development in the weight room continue to, to be needed for him as well as, you know, really all these guys. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Wandale Robinson, just your thoughts on uh, on what you see uh, what you see in his future. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very optimistic um, on his future. I think he really fits um, this offensive scheme really well. I think he's got a skill set to be a dynamic, reliable playmaker. Um, I thought we saw that, you know, at times this season. Another guy, obviously, that dealt with injury. You know, I feel like we've said that a lot already, but um, someone that I definitely think has a very optimistic future. I think certainly Brian Dable and Joe Shane they seem to really be high on this kid, and and I think um, they're going to make an effort to put him in positions to be successful. You know, that's another thing. I mean, they spent their own second round pick on him. That kind of forced Kadarius Tony out of the picture. And so I think they're really invested in this guy. And I think we're going to continue to see that moving forward. Yeah, I think it was interesting right from the beginning with Wandale Robinson, to be honest, because there were some raised eyebrows when the Giants traded around in the second round. I think they traded down a couple times and they ended up taking Robinson, who... You know, a lot of people thought he was a third-round pick. And, you know, everybody's got a little bit of a different draft board and, and all of that. But the Giants said, we know what we see. We know how we want to use this kid. We know how we want to run our offense. And and unfortunately, because of injuries, we only saw glimpses of it. But, you know, hopefully that knee is not something that that becomes a long-term thing. But uh, but like you, I think I'm really optimistic about what he can bring and, and how the Giants will use him. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, like the Detroit game, you know, um, catching that balls for a hundred yards. I think that shows obviously what you can hope to get consistently from this guy. Now building a receiving core, you know, it, it's kind of about the sum of parts. You need obviously multiple weapons. I think Wandale can be a part of that, but certainly obviously the giants need more, you know, size and perimeter uh, size on the outside and a true number one receiver. But yeah, I think, I think Wandale can be a, a really important part of what they do in the slot. You know, it's a good time for me to stop and sort of ask this question. The The Giants' season is obviously over. Everybody's attention is turning to the draft. 
We know that NFL free agency comes up first. Um, but when you look at free agency, there probably is not a number one wide receiver in free agency at this point. And I know, I don't know how deeply or I don't know how much you've studied the, the draft prospects yet, but I'm just curious the Giants sit at 25 or 26, whatever you want to call it, since Miami had their pick forfeited. Which which wide receiver out of this class at right now would you absolutely bang the table for if he's if he's there at for the Giants? Is is there one that that right now, you know, you really, really like? Yeah. Honestly, Ed, definitely for me, I got to do more studying on the receiver class. Um, I, I think overall, I, I know the kid out of Ohio State, um, Smith and Jigba, he, he's a he's a really great talent. Um, I'd say he's a guy. Now, I don't know if he'd get into round one. I think he might be more of a potentially a round two type of guy. And there's still so much with the draft process that needs to unfold. But he's a guy I would have my eye on. But certainly you're just looking for someone that is – um, big, can go up, win the one-on-one ball, strong hands, can run routes. I mean, they, they definitely need someone in that true number one receiver mold. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, as you said, you you know, you're you're sort of building a basketball team. You, you've got, you know, the the shifty little slot type guy in, in Robinson. To me, they need a guy, they need a guy who, who, is open when he's not open. They need a guy who can win that 50-50 ball, who can win that contested catch, who right. who can make himself open just with his with his frame. Yeah. And uh and I think it's not just through the draft. I mean, maybe there's possible trade pieces out there. You know, I've I've heard of DeAndre Hopkins, not that the Cardinals would maybe even look to trade him, but you know, you never know what could be available. I mean, you gotta get creative with how you acquire receivers. I mean, I think, you know, the Bills a few years back, uh, they ended up spending their first round pick on a Stefan Diggs, you know. So mm-hmm. that's something where th- there's so many avenues to get players, obviously, and the trade market might be a way that they end up, you know, kind of exhausting that and acquiring that player. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how uh, we'll see how that uh, how that unfolds. All right, let's go to the first round picks, and I think we need to talk first about since we're going in reverse order. We'll talk about Evan Neal. I get I get all kinds of questions at Big Blue View about Evan Neal. All kinds of people saying, "Oh, he's clumsy. He's slow. He's got bad footwork. He's got bad technique. He's a bust. They never should have drafted him at number seven. They've got to move him to guard and get somebody else." And and I I just tell, would you calm down, people? <laughs> you know, he didn't have a great rookie year. I get it, but it's it's a rookie year that he played through a lot of injuries. You know, in my perspective is you just have to give the guy time. I don't know what his ceiling is, but you've got to give him time to find out. So I'm just curious. I'm just curious if if you're with me or if you're with those people who think, uh, you know, Neil was a mistake. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely too early at this point to say he was a mistake. I think maybe a year from now, if things are kind of still the same, we could be having that conversation. But like to me, when I think about Neil, 
I think with like Giants fans, like I, you have to look no further than Andrew Thomas, you know, who came out, struggled his rookie year for the most part, showed flashes at the end of the year, but but struggled, you know, a good bit really throughout that entire season, really with being a rookie and being a tackle. The game just moves so fast and these athletes and obviously I know Neil and Thomas, they both played in the SEC, but when you're going up against top flight pass rushers and guys that can you with so many different moves every single week, that's just such a unique challenge. I mean, it really is baptism by fire when you're playing tackle. We saw that with Thomas. I think you see that a little bit with Neil. I think with Neil, you still have to bank all traits. You know, I mean, this guy is obviously a massive player. He's got great length. He's tough. He's strong. So to me, I think like, we just got to be patient with this guy because life is a rookie tackle. It can be really ugly sometimes. You see that pretty often across the league. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, people look at the pro football focus scores and, and they say, oh, he was the worst tackle in the league, you know, based on pro football focus. And, and, and I use those numbers because they're really the only ones out there that, that I've got access to. They're the only ones I can give people for any sort of reference, but – but that's not gospel. It's not It's not the same grading system that NFL teams use. So it, it's a reference point. And I, I don't know. None of us know for a fact that, that Evan Neal will, will turn into an all-pro caliber right tackle. But I think there's – I believe that it's way too early to give up on the kid. And I'm also curious, Tom, I, I wonder – how healthy he was down the stretch myself, to be honest with you coming off the sprained MCL and then just considering how badly he played when he came back. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a fair question. And certainly a guy that comes in with his type of price tag, you know, being drafted where he was drafted, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him to, to perform, be healthy, be available. Um, so yeah, I, I, th- I think definitely, you know, you want an off season where this guy, he gets healthy, he comes back, you know, you, you continue to, to inject confidence into this guy and what he does every day. You know, like, again, it's kind of taking it back to Andrew Thomas. Really what he struggled with was like the punch timing, the mechanics, just getting the timing and kind of the rhythm down with his technique. And so sometimes it can just be very minor things with these really talented tackles. And then we see them kind of take a giant step. And I think Neil has that ability to, but he's certainly a player that's going to be uh, as ostracized as any, I think, on the Giants next year going into his second year in the league. Absolutely. I mean, people are going to be looking for a big step forward and he's going to need to make one. Um, so let's talk about the, the, the first overall pick for the Giants, number five overall in the draft, Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, Thibodeau's a big personality, came into, came into the league with some questions about his work ethic, came in kind of talking a big game and saying, you know, I really want to get you know, if I if I get a sack every game and I get five or ten tackles every game, I'll be right where I want to be. And you know, he kind of learned the hard way that that it's not that easy to put up those numbers in the NFL. But it, you know, the numbers might not be great overall, four sacks, I think. But but when I look at it. I was really happy, really satisfied overall with the way Thibodeau played. I think he's got a really, really good future, you know, as a as a really impactful edge player for the Giants. Just, you know, some thoughts on on his overall year and, and what you think of of his 
potential for the future. Yeah. No, I think as advertised, the number five overall pick, he stepped in and showed all the traits and all the ability that you're looking for. I think for me, what's really positive with him and the Giants is I think for a while now, the Giants have been lacking that edge defender that you got a game man for that guy. Like on the offensive side, opponents that play the Giants every week, you have his number circled and he's a guy you got to you got to create a plan for to make sure that. He, he doesn't go off, you know, and I think the Giants finally have that guy with Thibodeau because he's super disruptive in the run game. He's already showed a lot of traits as a pass rusher. I think that game in Washington, you saw the type of impact they have on a game. Um, I, I think for him now it's about consistency. It's about just continuing week in to week out, continuing to make plays and be that force. But, yeah, he's, he's the type of edge defender that the Giants have been missing that for years I think we've all been saying they need that guy. I think now they got him. He just needs to continue to be consistent and continue to develop. Absolutely. All right, so uh, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's turn toward something that, that I found really interesting in Joe Shane's season-ending press conference on Monday. Obviously, we know that Joe is a first-year GM. We know that Brian Dable is a first-year head coach. And we know that, you know, the Giants had five consecutive losing seasons coming into the year. And and what happens most of the time, you know, in, in these kinds of situations is that maybe not, you know, right away in the first offseason because you do have to field a team, but eventually you get a house cleaning of almost everyone that was drafted, that was brought in, you know, by the previous administration. What Joe Shane said on Monday was this is a little bit unique because what we found here were a lot of players who we actually want to go forward with young guys that we want to give second contracts to just, you know, from, from your experience, um, is that a little bit unique and, and, you know, and is that maybe a little bit of a, of a credit to, to Dave Gettleman and his staff, maybe for not building a good team, but at least, you know, assembling some good pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely is, is a credit to, to Gettleman on a lot of those picks. I mean, I think like, a Dexter Lawrence and Andrew Thomas, you know, those are like blue chip guys moving forward. And granted first round picks were spent on those guys, but those, those are players that are a key part of your future. You know, even like a Xavier McKinney, a Julian love who was drafted in in the mid rounds that I think is going to be here for a little bit. Um, You know, those are guys that can be counted on. And then obviously Daniel Jones and Saquon drafted by the previous administration as well. Um, Is it unique? You know, I, I think it just, depends situation by situation. I think certainly when a new regime comes in, they definitely want to get their guys. They want to put their own stamp on it. Um, but I think if if you come into a situation where there's blue chip players like a Dexter Lawrence, um, you know, like a, you know, Leonard Williams, a Xavier McKinney, like you'd be stupid not to keep those guys. You know, at some point you have to kind of put your own, um, your desire to kind of put your own stamp on it. At, at times you have to put that aside a little bit and you still have to move forward with the successful players from the past. And so it doesn't surprise me that maybe he said that because I think it's obvious as you watch a Dexter Lawrence kind of emerge into a star that yet 
of course you want them to be a key part of your future, you know? So I think it does also justify a lot of the picks that, that Dave Gettleman made um, because we're seeing those guys start to start to really develop. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Tom that we've seen, you know, since the end of the Coughlin era, we've seen two years of Ben McAdoo. Then we saw two years of Pat Shermer. And then we saw two years of Joe judge and, and I can go through the roster each and every time that there was a coaching change made. And I can point to the Giants lost Romeo Aquara because Pat Shermer wanted to bring in Connor Barwin. They lost Devon Kennard because James Betcher wanted to bring in his guy, Kareem Martin. They lost Michael Thomas, who is a really good backup safety, really good special teamer, good presence in the locker room because Joe Judge wanted his guy in Nate Ebner. And I, th- I think that you get example after example after example of that every time there's a new head coach in the NFL. And I think I have my fingers crossed that the Giants avoid as much of that as possible this time around. Yeah, I mean, to me, that right there is the difference between great coaching staff and one that probably doesn't make it is a great coach can take any really talented player and 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 figure it out and make it work and put them in positions to be successful where their strengths are accentuated and their weaknesses are maybe hit a little bit. Whereas, yeah, you get some of the, you know, some stubborn head coaches or coaches that want their guys and they come in and they just want their guys and but I think that really speaks to, to Brian Dable and the staff a lot is that they recognize talent and they're going to do whatever they need to on their end schematically to put those players in positions to really play at a high level. You know, that has been for me the most impressive thing about this Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale coaching staff. Correct me if I, you know, if I'm wrong on this, but you know, most, most NFL coaches say it's about the players it's not about the plays it's not about the scheme it's about putting players in positions to succeed using them to the best of their abilities and yet I think you can look at situation after situation in the NFL where coaches have schemes and that's what they run regardless of the players that they have that's what they run and and that they may say they need to adapt to their players, but they don't necessarily do it. And I think that Brian Dable and his staff deserve credit for actually doing it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think great football coaches and great staffs, they're going to win with, to some degree, regardless of what they have. Obviously talent means a lot. I think we all know that, but at the end of the day, the players you have are the players you have. And it's your job to go out and win as many games as you can with those players and to put those players in the best position to be successful. And, um, you know, ultimately like it's, it's the front office's job. It's the scouting department's job to go find players and be in sync with the coaching staff, but week in and week out, once the season rolls around, your players are your players. And for the most part, they're not going to drastically change. And yeah, I thought Brian Dable and the entire staff, I mean, they, they embodied that to a T where every single week they went out and they put these guys in the best position to be successful. And it's why they, you know, ended up having a winning season and making it all the way to the divisional round. Like absolutely nobody thought they would. Absolutely. Tom, I can't let you go without one final Daniel Jones question. 
put on your GM hat and put on your contract negotiating hat and tell me what the number ends up being for Jones. It's it's way more than any of us thought it was going to be a few months ago. I know that, but but what's your what's your your best guess, your best ballpark at what the number ends up being for Jones? Yeah, I I think there's a good chance that the Giants end up deploying the franchise tag. Um, I think certainly it's going to be interesting whether they do that with DJ or maybe Saquon. I think to me, quarterbacks, they're, they're always to some degree overpaid. I mean, they're the most important position in football. I think Daniel Jones, probably 25 to $30 million a year type player, um, just because of, again, how steep it is to pay for a quarterback. I mean, if, if they were not to pay him that money, there would be another team with a worse quarterback situation. I think that would take that chance. So, to me, it's a twenty-five to thirty million dollar a year type investment, and and that 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 be where I peg it. But I'm truly curious to see where this number comes in because Daniel Jones is a polarizing player. Yeah, he still is, but I I I just I can't imagine that in the end I can't imagine this number coming in under that thirty-two million dollar franchise tag. You know, unless they use the tag on him, you're looking at. You know, all his agents have to do is say Carson Wentz makes thirty-two million, Jared Goff makes thirty-two million, Kirk Cousins makes thirty-five, and we just beat his team in the playoffs. So how do you not pay him thirty-five? You know, and that that obviously is the logic that an agent would use. But but I I'm gonna I I have a hard time seeing this number come in and not be in the thirties somewhere. Yeah, no, I mean, I could see that as well. Again, I think with the quarterback market, nothing should ever really surprise us. Um, I think to me, the, the one thing that I'm a little unsure of that I'm curious about is how many years will they commit to him? You know, because um, I, I believe that that you can win a lot of games with Daniel Jones. I'm pretty much, after seeing him this year with Dable, I wouldn't say I'm all the way sold, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty darn confident that he's the guy. But what are the Giants willing to commit long, long-term to him? I think it's going to be it, – it's a really fascinating, I think, overall decision that now has come down to money, years, franchise tag, not franchise tag. You know, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you're right. I think the fascinating part of that whole discussion is the years because that's – that's I think what would make what should make Giants fans nervous because if you if you give him too many years and you get it wrong and, and he regresses, then you're stuck. Yeah. So, and 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 you think about a situation like the Eagles had with Carson Wentz. Um and I think the way that Howie Roseman was able to kind of get out of it by drafting Jalen Hurts, you know, like that, you know, that that's a situation where Howie made a great decision to take a chance on Hurts and ended up working out. But that's obviously the worst case scenario. Like you signed Jones long-term, you want him to be the guy long-term. You don't want to have to pivot away from him. But I think that thought in the back of your mind has got to exist of, Hey, how long do we really want to commit to this guy? You know? Mm -hmm. absolutely and it makes for it'll make for uh one of many things that will be fascinating about the giants off season and and tom as things uh as things develop i'm sure we'll get you back on the show get a little closer to the draft we'll 
we'll dive into players a little bit more and uh and i uh, hope you know we'll get you on uh before the draft in in april again so uh, as always appreciate you uh spending a few minutes with us me yeah, i always enjoy coming on thanks ed and giants fans thank you as always for listening please uh, stay safe out there take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye support for this show comes from fundrise buy low sell high it's easy to say hard to do for example high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now demand is dropping and prices are falling even for many of the best assets It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, mom. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.